Yeah, I'm actually um, in the arcade cabinet <clears throat> that I built. I had an LCD monitor in there. I actually pulled that and the whole bezel and speakers out of it <clears throat> uh, today and uh, began preparing to uh, swap in an actual regular CRT television that I got at Goodwill, which is significantly larger and will give a more you know, more accurate rendition of the graphics uh, you know, the computer hooked up to it. So I kind of had that on my mind. Nice. Well, you know, we can talk about that a little bit because I can, I mean, I didn't really do a lot of arcade. That said, I really like the movie Wrecked Ralph. Oh, yeah, that was good. I saw that. Yeah, that's a really awesome show. (laughs) And the, uh, oh, Namco makes Mm. these little, they're actually like, they're a television peripheral, right? So it's like mm-hmm. a little box shaped like an old joystick, and then you can hook it up to the TV with, uh, you know, uh, red, white, and yellow cables, and you can play a lot of the old classics on there. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen that or heard that. I, I haven't actually seen one, but my my uncle, well, you know what? We can t- we'll talk a little bit about arcades then, um, because like my uncle had one, and my kids just had a blast. Oh, he, he had a pick- machine. Yeah. Well, no, oh, he dude. didn't have the arcade machine. He had the little Namco box. Okay. And like we were, we were kind of, you know, doing some trailer camping with him and it was a particularly dismal day. So we were kind of just hanging in inside his trailer and uh, he hauls this thing out and my kids are just eating it up like Pac-Man and, um, oh, it wasn't Galaxian. It was something else. Um, Could have been Galaga or Space Invaders. Yeah, Galaga. And then another one that was really like Bosconian. There we go. What hell? Welcome back to another episode of Spam 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 Humbug. It has been a little while since I've had a chance to uh, record one. Um, I mean, we've been doing, we did a lot of the roundup episodes uh, to launch off 2016. And uh, just by virtue of having focused on those and having pre-recorded a lot of those, um, you know, now it's March and, oh, hey, time to finally record a brand spanking new episode. So we're going to go ahead with that. And fittingly, we're rejoined by Linguistic Dragon. Hello, hello. It's been too long. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Linguistic has returned from journeys and afar and is, you know, once again ready to... All right. Forge ahead! There we go. And we've also got Boolean Dragon back again. Hello, everyone. Good to be here. The uh, the hit squad from Richard Garriott evidently hasn't been sent or hasn't found you. One of the two. <laughs> That's okay. That's what machetes are for. <laughs> You did get some good kudos on that little tear you went on at the uh, end of the Shroud of the Avatar episode. So, you know. Yeah, Linker, it didn't happen. Uh, I I need to uh, read those. (laughs) Well, all right. So what are we talking about tonight? Well, before we launch into topic, 
It has been a little while since we've done this, but as always, big hearty thank you to the Patreon co-producers. So that's Seth, Chris, Johnny, Dominic, Violation, Adam, Eric, Thorwin, Cody, Pascal, and Neil. And this whole episode is actually, or at least a part of this episode, a big chunk of this episode is going to be a big shout out anyways to these guys. But here is the official shout out to lead it off to Chris and Brad and Yos from Bioware. And also actually to Ian Fraser, uh, you know, Tiberius Moongazer, to those of us who know him as the project lead for Ultima 5 Lazarus. Chris, Brad, and Yos will be, uh, their efforts as volunteers will be uh, explained shortly. Uh, and Ian, of course, was instrumental in shopping around my initial request for volunteers at the Bioware Edmonton office. So, and also a big shout out to the Ultima Dragons, who I believe just last weekend, yeah, sounds right, um, celebrated their 24th anniversary. So, been going a long time. All right. And we also welcome some new followers this week. We welcome a number of followers on Podbean who've kind of popped in over the last however many weeks it's been since we <laughs> did shoutouts of this nature. So we have Juan Mir, The Chaos Zone, I Don't Know What I'm Talking About, Multiple Monkey Spasms, Bearhard 140, New Perception, Karen Goyle. 98J Greathouse, Ozio Informativo, The Lighthouse Podcast, BJ Hutt, B Cornet 3V, Mercs Overwatch, another podcast, Gamer Zone, Mob Shows, A Wizzy, Yaroon3911, Color Rules, and Ricky Charles SG. As well, number of new dragons on the Ultima Dragons Facebook group, so we bid welcome to Michael and Daniel, Jim, Paul, Stephen, Barlow, Clay, Alex, Andrew, Jack, Brian, sorry, Brain, people using nicknames now, Francesco, Octavio, Petros, Andy, Armand, Andrew, Ian, not Ian Fraser, Karen, Ernie, Ron, Brian, Sam, Samuel, Umbre, and Thomas. Uh, we actually also had a couple of new Ultima Dragons on the Google Plus community, so hello and welcome to Jeff and Chris. And finally, on the Ultima Dragons website, udic.org, we welcome Peaceful Dragon and Ardreside Dragon, or however you pronounce that. It's obviously a Celtic term, and I don't do Celtic pronunciations. Linguistic, if you want to take a stab later, by all means do. <laughs> my my uh, Celtic is very, very rusty, so <laughs> I think I'll pass. Anyways, so number of new dragons um, or old dragons finding the groups anew. Uh, in either case, welcome and splut to all. Splut, the sound of a pie hitting you in the face, which is evidently how dragons greet each other. Now you know. All right. So it was actually this week, too, that we wrapped it up. Um so, of course, and I mentioned this, uh, I think, a few times before, just briefly in various episodes, but uh, I'm involved with Scouts Canada. I lead one and sometimes two sections of Beaver Scouts. So, 
basically we have a Monday night group and a Tuesday night group. The Monday night group, I always lead unless I happen to be out of town. The Tuesday night group, I don't always lead. There are actually other leaders that cover it, but sometimes if one of them can't make it, I'll be the one who covers them as well. And sometimes if it's a really involved project that I've, you know, um, you know, want to be sure to provide some guidance for because it's my brainchild, then I'll also show up and help lead. And that was kind of the case here. So now Scouts Canada does emphasize even at the Beaver Scout level, and keep in mind, these are five, six, and seven-year-old children. So kindergartners, grade ones, grade twos. But even at that level, there's still a real emphasis placed on youth leadership, um, helping guiding the kids really to ideally run the meetings or help run the meetings and also come up with the activities. So this series of activities started from a suggestion by one of the kids in the group, in the Monday night group. Um, you know, I was sitting down with them and just discussing this like, okay, well, what have we done so far this year? What have you liked? What haven't you liked? Fortunately, there was nothing on that list. And what would you like to do? You know, let's take some suggestions from you and really try and build the program around your interests. And this one little boy puts up his hand and he's like, I'd, I'd love to try and build a board game, which I thought was like, awesome. Like that's a great suggestion for a few reasons. One, anything to do with games, obviously I'm there, but two, <laughs> these are five, six and seven year old kids. So when it gets cold outside during the winter, I like to have a lot of good indoor activities planned. And we don't have a gymnasium that we meet in, so I can't do a lot of, you know, really high energy games, but something like designing a board game, well, that I can do. Like we can do a lot of craft stuff and this is cool because this is a little bit more involved, probably is going to be a little bit more involved than just building whatever neat thing I found on Pinterest. So I went for it except that I had no idea how to do it, right? You know, it's like, well, how do I teach a kid how to design a board game? I don't know how to design a board game. So I reached out to the one professional game designer that I know on a reasonably good speaking basis, Mr. Ian Fraser. Of course, he's the lead designer for Mass Effect Andromeda with Bioware Montreal. I don't live in Montreal, so the text of the message was more to the effect of, hey, look, Ian, I know you personally wouldn't be able to contribute because you're more than half a country away from me, but is there anybody at the Edmonton office? Because, of course, Bioware started in Edmonton and their main office is still here. <clears throat> is there anybody at the Edmonton office who has some experience with making board games or, you know, uh, board game systems? And who'd like to volunteer their time with a bunch of five, six, and seven-year-old kids. And amazingly, uh, two and then a third uh, member of the – actually, I guess they're all on the Mass Effect Andromeda team as well. They volunteered their time. And so, you know, we started a bit of a dialogue by email back and forth. And we basically settled on a strategy where – I started out by having the kids play board games. So we do devoted uh, we we devoted one whole meeting to just 
playing games and actually not just board games. We also had some card games and um, like Yahtzee doesn't really have a game board per se. But anyways, we had a bunch of these different games set up on different tables. And then, you know, I was just cycling the kids through them uh, 10, 15 minutes per table. So they get to take in three or four games uh, in the span of a typical meeting. And I mean, it wasn't even necessarily a case that the kids were playing the games through to completion. It was just to really expose them to uh, a range, as much of a range of games as we could, different mechanics, different rules, different bits of artwork and themes, just so that they kind of, you know, started to hopefully think about games in a slightly deconstructed way. You know, it's not just, well, this is a thing I'm playing right now, but you know, okay, well, this game has a board. This game doesn't have a board. Here we're using dice. This is a spinner. Here we're just playing with cards, that kind of stuff. I also spent a good three weeks. Uh, so before, and then the week of this playing games meeting and then afterwards too, just encouraging them, you know, okay, go home, play games uh, with your family. Think about what's fun. Think about what isn't fun. Um, you know, just really trying to keep board games first and foremost in their minds. And a lot of them actually responded really positively too. So, I mean, also, I guess a big shout out to my beavers because they did an amazing job of, you know, just picking up this idea and running with it. And whenever we would sit down and be just like, okay, what games did you play last week? Um, God, uh, you know, when you got a seven-year-old boy who puts up his hand and is just like, we played Carcassonne and I think that's my new favorite game. All right, good. We're, we're in a good place here. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, so that was the lead up. And I mean, I did a little bit of research online too, did find some uh, teaching resources regarding, you know, how to teach the basics of uh, board game design to children. And that was obviously um, <clears throat> there's some subjectivity there. So, you know, a lot of difference of opinion as to exactly how to go about approaching it. But that was the one consistent thing. Get the kids playing games ahead of time ask them questions about the game, get them thinking about the game, get them thinking about why this game is different from that game. Um, just get them playing games, <laughs> which is, I guess is a good piece of advice actually for any aspiring game designer. You know, how are you going to really make a game if you don't study games that have already been made and understand them at a mechanical level Understand them at just the level of fun. You know, why is this game fun? Why do I find this game fun? Why don't I find that game fun? Uh, so, the old adage, you can't be a writer if you're not a reader. Yep, same same thing exactly. Same principle. So yeah, that's actually something that uh, Stephen King recommended as far as his advice to writers is to just never stop reading. Oh, that's a lot of authors' advice. Yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the key differences between, you know, somebody who is simply a consumer and somebody who's a producer is you, it's easy to enjoy something without understanding it. Uh, but when you actually do break it apart and dissect it in order to understand it, that's the foundation for creating something like it. It is. And the payoff was nothing short of amazing. So, <laughs> and you know... 
it was kind of unfortunate, but the only week that I could actually get the guys from Bioware out, the, the week that really worked well for them, and I think the reason it worked well for them was the fact that the Monday, at least, was actually a stat holiday, okay? And, like, normally I wouldn't bother doing Beaver meetings uh, if they fell on a stat holiday, but in this case, it's like, no, I got to make an exception because this is when they can come out, and so worth it. So I had a couple of uh, kids that, you know, didn't necessarily, you know, didn't come out to the meetings because it's a long weekend. So, you know, maybe they go and like visit people and whatever else and they're not back in time. That's fine. But most of the group came out and of course, Chris Brad and Yost came out and it was great because for about 20 minutes, they sat down with the kids and they just ran through a bit of a deconstruction exercise. So, you know, we looked at the games that the kids had played both at home and then in the meeting and just started picking them apart. You know, what are the components of this game, right? What are the pieces? What, what parts are there in play? What are the rules? What are the mechanics? You know, how do you play the game? Um, what's the theme of the game? What's the goal? You know, and we did this, like I say, for around 20 minutes. And then we just kind of quickly took a poll. And, you know, out of all the games that all the kids had played, because this was a point too that um, they made during the presentation, which is that, you know, even as professional game designers, they don't always try and invent stuff, or actually maybe they don't often try to invent stuff out of thin air, right? You know, they're not trying to necessarily come up with new game system ideas or game mechanic ideas completely out of thin air. Sometimes that innovation happens and it's great when it does, but it can be just as rewarding to take something that's been done elsewhere and then just modify it to suit your needs. <coughs> Excuse me. And so that's what we wound up actually doing with the beavers, we sat down and we did a straw poll. Uh, you know, it's like, okay, what are all the games you played? And then basically another survey afterwards. Okay, if you know how to play this game, raise your hand. And the game that had the most votes was Candyland. <laughs> I mean, hey, these are five, six, and seven-year-old kids, so whatever. True. Yeah. Um, and so we started. Of course, you say that, and all I can think of is Chuckles asking, "Do you know how to play the game?" <laughs> yes, well, yes. Um, and then what we did was basically started figuring out things to change. So you know, like Candyland. I mean, the the board kind of has an S type shape to it, right? You know, your path just kind of winds its way across the board, and from start to finish, and that's fine. So first thing first, um, we had to settle on a theme. I mean, obviously the theme of Candyland is candy. Well, all right, we want to do something different. And this is like my own daughter, uh, my, my oldest, was the one who suggested the winning theme. Basically, um, you're lost in space and you're trying to get your way back to Earth. Okay, you're trying to find your way back to Earth. And so then, of course, the question of, wow, that's okay, great. So what should the shape of the board be? And they discussed it and there were some different options floated. And then we kind of put it to a vote and they settled on a spiral with the sun at the middle and then like Pluto at the far end 
And I guess it was decided at some point that you like would start at Pluto. But what that meant is that Earth, the endpoint, is in the middle of the path. And so that gets more interesting now because it's just like, okay, well now, I mean. What happens you, when you overshoot? Exactly, right? So can you turn around? How do you turn around? Like what are the different options there? Um <clears throat> And, you know, much like in Candyland, where you can roll on the spinner, if you roll like, you know, the mint or the ice cream cone or whatever they are, um, you jump ahead, right, to the special squares. So, same idea here. Well, we should probably have a way of, you know, like, oh, you landed on that thin little bit of the spinner, you get to jump ahead to the next planet. Um, so, things like that. And for about the last 40, 45 minutes of the meeting, it was, you know, just this really great exchange of ideas. It was like, okay, well, okay, where should we put each planet? And, oh, maybe there should be this or that or the other thing. And maybe we should have this be a rule. And are we going to use dice? Are we going to use spinners? What kind of pieces should we, uh, should we have? And it was cool. Uh, much the same for the Tuesday night group. Uh, except what game did they, they actually, the Tuesday night group was almost more interesting because the game that they initially settled on was shoots and ladders and the theme that they chose. And I'm going to have to get this changed because my ultimate plan here is to, um, like the art was just drawn on paper. I have big rolls of paper. Um, so we were just rolling out sheets of it and scribbling down stuff. My job for the next couple of weeks is going to be to try and make fancier art. And then with that, um, see if I can't get both the Monday night groups game and the Tuesday night groups game printed. Um, I found, uh, I found a company that, you know, uh, will print small runs of board games and they do everything, the boards and the spinners and the tokens oh, and nice. boxes and everything. So what I want to be able to do is send each kid home with a nicely boxed copy of a game that he or she helped create. Um, oh, that's great. Cool. yeah, no kidding. So yeah, which, uh, which which company? Unless you're not mentioning people that no, I, uh, actually, I I'm yeah. happy to throw this one out there because you know what? If in a couple of weeks people identify major problems, then I'm more than happy. So the website is boardgamesmaker.com, which is an offshoot of another company. The name of which is uh, I can't remember, but anyways, um. But yes, boardgamesmaker.com. That's what I'm focusing on, at least for right now, um, as, you know, being where I'm going to go through. I have found some other services, but a lot of them are like, you know, well, 500, uh, 500 units minimum. And it's like, um, I don't even want to think about what kind of a nightmare it would be to license this game. You know, like, who would even hold the license? And, you know, like, I mean, I'm going to start losing track of these kids in May. Right. So like, where do the royalties go? Yeah. Yeah. I would like, I'd like to see, uh, you know, how the public would react actually to TSR or whoever makes Candyland actually, you know, suing a bunch of, uh, you know, Boy Scouts, uh, you know, effectively for a derivative work. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that would be some great PR for the company, you know? I suppose so. And you know what the thing is? I mean, I say we used Candyland at the template, but it, 
pretty quickly diverged. So, yeah, it's effectively a total conversion modification of right. the existing game. Right. Um, yeah, and again, I don't, I don't want to get it printed for sale. I don't think we need the hassle. I just want each kid who helped make it to be able to take home a copy. Um, so, I was more than willing to, you know get the game boards and stuff printed as decals and or as decals and just make the stuff myself but hey great i found a service that'll do a small production run i'm so there um i got the budget for it so anyways tuesday night group so what did the tuesday night group do they started with the idea of shoots and ladders um now thing is they picked star wars as their theme okay so the monday night group just picked <laughs> space generically Tuesday night group. Okay. Tuesday night group picked star Wars as their theme, but here's the thing I can actually with almost no significant changes to the rules of the mechanics of the game, make the game to be about beavers in a stream because what they settled on was that, okay, star Wars type theme, but basically you were running around this board trying to collect lightsabers and then you're trying to return them to, something in the middle. I can't remember what they decided on, but you know, there's a point at the middle of the board where you got to bring all the lightsabers back to and the armory. Yeah. Something like the ar- that. The armory. And, um, so, I mean, I could just as easily make this about, you know, beavers trying to build the dam in a stream, right? doesn't matter really what the collectible is or what the end point is. It's very easy to just swap one theme for another with that. But anyways, um, and they just, they went completely nuts with it. Like the Monday night group was a little bit more subdued and it was a little more orderly in terms of, you know, discussing and voting on what the shape of the board would be. Not the Tuesday night group though. They were just, they were crawling all over the paper, just scribbling down ideas as fast as they came to mind. It was something to behold. Um, you know, like they just, they unlocked and just went wild with it. But at the end of the day, um, possibly the more interesting game. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Have to, have to see how it winds up when I, uh, wind up getting it printed. But by the, by the way, every time uh, you say, I'm not entirely sure, you really need to say it like, uh, Lord British from Ultima 9. <laughs> oh, I don't think, no. I, I, there, there's I'm only one person. Sure. Yeah. Oh yes, that's right. Uh, um, well, that was not in the, uh, in the scouting stuff. Uh, the last scouting stuff episode we released, we, uh, I mean, we're all Albertan and Albertans, uh, much like, uh, certain parts of Minnesota have, you know, that's one of our placeholders, you know, one of our verbal ticks. And so we were just relentlessly mocking um, our own tendency to say, well, you know, um, and of course, right off the bat, uh, the suggestion is made. It's just like, ah, it's too bad. This is a scouting podcast because we can't tell you to drink alcohol. Well, go make yourself some tea. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Every time we say, you know, take a sip of tea. (laughs) And then there were like teapot jokes for the rest of the episode. It was good. But, okay, so the other neat thing on both nights was, you know, I mean, the Bioware guys kind of just 
stood back a little bit after sort of, you know, putting the initial suggestions out there. And even some of the other leaders kind of just stood back. I mean, I was in the middle basically writing down ideas that the kids were coming up with. <coughs> um, but, you know, the Bioware guys were observing from a bit of a distance. And then afterwards, whether it was in the parking lot or in the hall, but, you know, as I'm cleaning up stuff, putting away the felts and putting away the papers and the kids are getting picked up by their parents, I can just hear them, you know, they are now, their brains are on fully and they're just spitballing different ideas and, you know, little suggestions that they might want to throw our way. Um, for all I know, one of these games might actually be a mini game in Mass Effect Andromeda by the time it comes out. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, so that was, that was the main event and that was mid-February. And then the week following, because we were losing the snow, we've had an unusually warm winter. Damn El Nino. Uh, <laughs> although now we're apparently slated to get just like deluged. So whatever. But um, so we were losing the snow. So the week following, we took the kids uh, sledding. Uh, that had been our plan. And then just this week, so the 29th and the 1st, we came back. And we had the kids do sort of one more session, um, just based on the feedback from the Bioware guys. And then also just to, you know, uh, address any lingering questions like, okay, well, what should be on the spinner or, okay, we're picking up lightsabers. How are we picking up lightsabers? Are the lightsabers like little placeholders? Like are, are there lightsaber tokens that we just randomly distribute around the board? Or should there be a special square? Like, should there be multiple special squares that you land on? And then you draw a card and maybe the card has a lightsaber on it, but maybe it's some other piece of debris. And what happens if two players bump into each other? You know, do they have to fight and then the winner gets a lightsaber? And if they fight, how does that fight get resolved? Like, is it just whoever rolls the highest on the dice? You know, all of these kind of questions. And we did some play testing. And I think my favorite moment from that was, <clears throat> so for the space game, they had decided that the spinner should have both positive and negative numbers. You know, so I mean, if you rolled a positive number, then you moved towards the sun. And if you rolled a negative number, you moved uh, back along the Backwards. spiral away from the sun. The idea being that, you know, yeah, if you overshot the earth, maybe the next round you could spin... Um, enough to get yourself back to the planet, right? And of course, uh, the first kid who plays, so they all start at Pluto, right? They're at the far end of the spiral and the first kid rolls a negative five. <laughs> and he just kind of looks up and he's like, what, 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 what do I do? <laughs> we're just like, and that's why we play test. So, uh, what we're going to do for this, <laughs> So we're going to do for the part of play testing. Well, yeah, right. I mean, finding those bugs, right? Well, didn't think of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what if you roll a negative number when there's nowhere to go backwards? Huh. Well, so what we're going to do is probably, you know, just make the spinner have numbers and then you can choose each turn whether that's for forward or backward. Um, and to add incentive to occasionally go backwards before you've overshot Earth, we also added little wormholes. That will basically like jump you between uh, arms of the spiral. <coughs> so, you know, you can incrementally jump closer to Earth. That's, uh... anyways. Move backward to move forward. Exactly. Um, and then I didn't 
lead the Tuesday night section this week, so I don't know what changes they made to the game. Uh, I'll probably find that out tomorrow. But anyways, yeah, so, but it was, it was really nothing short of, you know, just incredible how much the kids took to this. Um, and I mean, I, I hope that some of that was, you know, because we had laid the foundation of <coughs> sort of, you know, being able to do some basic analysis of what a game is, but just the raw outpouring of creativity was, was mind blowing. Like I was just ecstatic watching it. Um, they, they more than surprised. And I think overall the whole event went way beyond how I thought it would go and in a very good way. So. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to add that, you know, <clears throat> when I saw the premise of this episode, when it was in the planning phase, I'm not a huge board game fan, you know, although I've played a lot of them and I've certainly enjoyed it, but you know, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I'm as surprised as you based on your description of what happened and how, passionate you obviously are by describing it, uh, that that did happen. That's that's actually encouraging. You know, the kids kids that young um, I don't, could just pick it up like that, you know, could just almost innately understand it and get into it and enjoy it that much and be that successful at you know, manipulating mechanics just, again, almost intuitively, instinctively. That's I'm surprised as well. It's awesome. Yeah, and that was the nice thing is that it really was – them that came up with the lion's share of it. I mean, if, if me or the guys from Bioware were doing anything, we were asking the occasional question, you know, <clears throat> okay, how do you want to move across the board? You know, do you want to use this? Do you want to use that? What do you want to do? How should we pick up lightsabers? Right. And then, you know, take some options from the kids. They can kind of discuss it for a minute and then pick the one and keep going. Um, it was really, really, it was so cool to just see them completely own the entire creative process of this. Um, and, you know, you're right. I mean, just on the one hand, you wouldn't think that, you know, a five-year-old could, could really pick up these concepts and run with them successfully. But, you know, I guess... The whole thing about scouting is that, you know, we really do try and, or at least my interpretation of scouting is that it really is about, you know, those experiences, well, A, that you don't necessarily get anywhere else or many places else. And B, it's about experiences that are, you know, really designed to challenge you as a person, challenge you, um to utilize your every skill and all your creativity and your imagination to, you know, really, yeah, achieve some end goal that you wouldn't necessarily encounter or, or be given or, or take on as a goal um, in many other circumstances, really any other circumstances. And I mean, just for myself, like I've always found, and again, if you want to hear me expound on this more, scoutingstuffpodcast.com. But here's the Coles Notes version, is that basically, you know, I think about my time in Beavers, you know, which was, 
It'll be 30 years ago next year. And how much has changed and how the experience of being a kid is so much different now. And, you know, like, I mean, for us, Beavers was, I mean, it was just, and it's good that Scout still puts the emphasis on getting kids outdoors and, you know, exploring the natural world. These are really great things. And in many respects, that's actually where the program is still kind of really unique because, you know, uh, it's trivially easy now to find articles complaining about how sedentary children have become. But at the same time, when it's minus 30 outside, I can't exactly do a death march in the snow with the beavers. So I need some <laughs> indoor focus. <laughs> and that's where it's hard because, you know, nowadays, I mean, you know, these kids, they all have their Minecraft creations and they've all got, you know, there's all of this great stuff now for introducing kids to this, that, and the other thing, especially when it comes to technology. So the challenge that I've perceived really is finding ways when the kids are indoors to really be different, right? Um, even doing crafts isn't necessarily enough because they're going to do that at play school or kindergarten or whatever they do Even the grade ones and twos do crafts sometimes. So how do we really distinguish ourselves? And I mean, last year, the big thing was we had the teleconference with Richard Garriott, right? He came and talked to the kids for, or well, online, it was a Google Hangout, but you know, he talked to the kids about space and that was really, really cool. And that was kind of the highlight of the year for a lot of the, for a lot of the beavers and the cubs, because we did a joint uh, thing between the two groups. And this year, um, definitely I would think the board game is kind of our highlight piece. Um, and you know what? Well, although, uh, <laughs> I say that now, but <laughs> next week, well, okay. So next week we're going to be doing an outdoor activity, but then the week after that, I have a friend who's, uh, he's part of what's called NALUG. Uh, it's the Northern Alberta Lego users group. So these are the guys who do the really crazy ass large scale Lego builds. All right. Um, do you remember seeing on Kotaku about, oh gosh, probably around a year ago, maybe, maybe not quite a year ago, um, someone had built one of the carriers from Homeworld out of Lego. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a beautiful piece. I, I did see a, a working automobile uh, that actually used uh, the pneumatic, you know, engines and tubes and all that was built out of God oh, cool. how many Legos on, on YouTube. It was moved at about four miles per hour, but still, <laughs> it moved with people in it. It, it was insane. But nice. Well, anyways, um, I'll put a link in the show notes. But basically, on Kotaku, uh, maybe a little less than a year ago, there was a story about a guy who'd built one of the carriers from Homeworld out of Lego. And I mean, big model, probably in several feet long at any rate. Uh, and that was one of the guys in this group. So anyways, they will be coming out to our meeting and they will be bringing their small scale recreation of Hoth. Oh boy. And a bunch of sort of just extraneous Lego pieces on the Star Wars theme and they'll be helping the kids do stop motion animation. 
Yeah, that sounds like a highlight to potentially rival a board game. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So, but... <laughs> Thinking, hey, I want in on this. I know. <laughs> my my longtime friend Colin, who I actually met in Beavers, is just like, ah, I want to be in Beavers now again. <laughs> Kenneth, as cool as stop animation is, which I actually did like on my own um, with a with an old video camera that used to VHS tape like way back in the day with a with clay, awesome. Uh, but just to back it up uh, a notch, uh, when you were talking about you know the more traditional purposes of the scouts, I could be wrong about this, but it's my understanding that like the original mission of the scouts was actually to teach basic survival skills. Well, um, sort of, right? I mean, right, literally how to survive in the woods. But if if that's at all true, you know, it's interesting what you're talking about with board game design and the inherent logic, mechanics, things like that. Um, you can connect that. It's, the next level of that is actually an introduction to code, of the mathematics and the logic of codifying, actually writing programming code, um, you know, that uses the same types of rules and things and the same sorts or similar sorts of graphical representations of the uh, board pieces, if you will, that uh, the Scouts has moved in a way from teaching basic survival skills uh, to more modern survival skills of, of how to actually survive in the modern world. Well... Uh, Hold that thought. With more advanced skills, essentially, more practical Definitely. skills, and I and I would not say that learning stop animation really equates to that. Maybe not, but you know, on the other hand, I mean, <clears throat> could be a lot of fun. Who doesn't like Lego? But give me one moment. The How Nine Thousand. Just a moment. Just a moment. Just a moment. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. Now, I'm almost certain, I'm almost certain I've talked about this before, but in case I haven't or in case it slipped out of mind, um, I do have, and I'm debating, I don't currently have a slot for it in our meeting plans, but I am still going through and provisioning a bunch of little workstations because I have a bunch of these kits. And this is this kit, in case you can't read the text. And of course, for those of you listening, you can't even see the video right now. So this is a <laughs> bits box kit. All right. And basically, um, bits box is a web based programming framework for kids. It's about teaching kids to code. And Unlike something like MIT Scratch, it doesn't use visual blocks to abstract the code at all. It actually uses a really simplified form of JavaScript. So, like for example, inside the box, there's this big booklet, and you open the booklet, and it's, you know, how to, uh, here's some mini apps to get you started. I mean, a simple two-line app, fill, bracket, single quote, blue, single quote, bracket, stamp, eagle. So basically just a really simple program that'll fill the background blue and then put a eagle, uh, a little image of an eagle onto the background centered in the screen. Um, I mean, Bitsbox comes preloaded. There's like all these little uh, there's a whole glossary of sound and art assets that are available for the kids to use. And the idea is that just through some really simple commands, they can create images on the screen and make them do stuff. My kids like using Bitsbox. Um, you know, my uh, 
my second uh, daughter, her favorite thing is to make a very simple game on Bitsbox where there's a burger on the screen, a hamburger, and when you tap it, it explodes. Done. <laughs> <laughs> they should have really had this like on the Apple II when I was in elementary school. I would have enjoyed myself a lot more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd have had uh, a lot more fun, definitely. I like, you know what? I like using Bitsbox. It's just, it's, I mean, think of all the delight of, and I, I hate to, to phrase it in those terms because on the one hand, I know as someone who's gone through computer engineering and who studied, you know, how to structure programs and, and like how to handle variable declarations and memory management and all the rest, I know that at some level I should just despise Visual Basic. I really should, but I don't. It's such a simple and fun, frankly, language to use, even if it's woefully inefficient. Um, and Bitsbox is much the same, except that now it's got, you know, even more colorful little graphical bits and stuff about it and, uh, what have you. So, and the you nice like, thing about it, oh, sorry, Kevin, you what? Like, just real quick, you would like Gambus. It's like based inspired by Visual Basic 6, but it has all oh, the- I love VB6. Right. It has all the crap, all the inefficiency stripped out of it. It's fully object-oriented. You could include, like, any random C library that's installed you want and make calls to it. It's insane. So Gambus for the win. <laughs> if only it were available on Windows. Sad trombone. <laughs> I got to find that sound effect. But anyways, the other nice thing about I used Bitsbox, to have a link saved to it on my... On my uh... Saved in my toolbar at work, so I can just play it <laughs> randomly. That and the um, bomb, bomb, bomb. You know what? I've been spamming my one coworker with this week. Um, the guy who sits in the cube next to me, because we've been working on the same project, and there've just been moments where we've just been left scratching our heads. And he'll walk up and he'll say something about how this is totally not going the way he thought it would, or he had made these and that assumptions about it. Um, and I just kept this one YouTube video open and it's Yoda. It's a seven second clip of Yoda from the empire strikes back. That is why you fail. (laughs) 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 I've just been relentlessly spamming this all week because it's just one of those projects, but, uh, so, but anyways, the other neat thing about Bitsbox is, the sharing feature. So the kids do have the option of sharing their program. And what it'll do is it'll generate a QR code. And then mommy or daddy can pull out their smartphone and scan the QR code. And it'll actually install their little applet or their little game as a web app on the phone. Which is, I mean... <laughs> how cool is that you know like that's that's pretty awesome so i don't currently have a slot for this in the timeline i've defined for the beavers through to the end of the year um but if the opportunity presents itself i am going to do something with it because and you know what if not i think i might just uh you know anyone who wants can take one of these kits home because it's really really cool um just 
how well put together Bitsbox is as a service. And anyways, yeah. Well, if you can find a way to keep it collaborative, in other words, you know, preserve exactly what happened before in as much as you can for those that continue to be interested. Uh, well, that was my thought. Right. Keep, keep it where they're working together on this because the problem often with coding is that people find them, <clears throat> excuse me, people find themselves in isolation. And yeah. That, that takes a big chunk out of the enjoyment factor when you devolve into the guy in your basement working by yourself as opposed to being in a group of people working tightly together. Um, yeah, no, that was my plan for them actually because I only have so many of these little workstations that I've been slowly provisioning. So my thought was that um, I'd probably wind up like pairing the kids off. So, you know, two kids for every one computer, and then they can just kind of bounce ideas off each other. And of course, the leaders will be there too to answer questions and offer suggestions and just generally help them out. So that's what I'm hoping at any rate will be the the result. But um, anyways, uh, so... Uh, it's a long, long way, man, from, you know, dropping quarters at the arcade. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's actually frightening to consider, you know, living vicariously through the eyes of children, whether they're your own children or, you know, you obviously have your own children, but you also have your second set of kids yep. um, in your group. And it's, it's both amazing and horrifying how much things have changed. You know, and that you're responsible for both understanding these changes and somehow helping them under, understand these changes so you can help them succeed in a world where you don't even know what it's going to be like yet. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, even stuff like, you know, I mean, on the one hand, my daughter loves, my eldest loves playing Word Rescue, which is the same game that I played when I w was, you know, around her age, um, you know. Maybe a little bit older, I think, because it came out in the 90s, I think. I'd have to double-check that, actually. Um, but, you know, it's a game that I played as a kid, and now I've got it installed in DOSBox on the uh, living room computer, and she loves playing it, right? And, I mean, it's fun. It's, it's, it's an Apogee software game, and it's kind of Commander Keen-like in terms of its mechanics, you know? Side-scrolling levels, but not... Uh, but like within the level, you're free to move back and forth, right? It's not like a Mario game where once it's off screen, you can't really revisit it, right? So it's just, you know, no, you can run back and forth and you do, you have to run back and forth to collect the various uh, images that correspond to the words that you find. Um, and there's, you know, some monsters and a basic little way of dealing with the monsters. You can drop buckets of slime on them or whatever. Um, in terms of, you know, it helping her as a reader, well, she's already well above the level that the words in it are at. But still, I mean, she enjoys playing it. And actually, I have to make good on a promise because I told her that once she passes Word Rescue, I would install Commander Keen for her. And she passed Word Rescue, so I have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the other thing that she plays is Prodigy. Um prodigygame.com, which is like, I mean, think about this. My daughter in grade two for her math homework is now obligated to play an MMORPG. 
I grew up in the wrong century. <laughs> I was going to say, that is not anything I would have heard when I was in school. <laughs> and it's cool, right? Because it's it's kind of like this um, JRP, it, it's JRPG type artwork. And even the music kind of hits on the JRPGs. Kevin, you would probably get a kick out of the combat music. You really would. I would uh, probably uh, order the soundtrack for it and rock out to it in my car with the windows <laughs> down. <man. laughs> I, I, got, I got the Final Fantasy four, five, six original sound. You don't even want to start with that, but yes, I can. I can actually picture that pretty easily. Yeah. So, um, but everything in the game is resolved through math, and it actually—I guess it uses the um, Ontario. So that's another Canadian province. It uses the Ontario math curriculum as its standard. <clears throat> and it covers grades one through eight. So, of course, my daughter's in grade two. She's definitely at the early end of it. She'll be playing the game probably for several years. And everything is resolved through math. So if you want to, if you get into combat and you want to cast a spell at a monster, there's oh, a math man. question to solve. I would have loved that at that age. Uh, if you need to hit the healer, there's a math question to solve. And the thing about it is, some of the math is like, they. I mean... When I was in grade two, you know, we were learning our pluses and our minuses, and I think we just got into multiplication. She's doing algebra. It's not portrayed as such, but it'll give her like a basic equation. This minus blank equals that. What is the blank? Well, that's algebra. Even though there's no X there, that's still algebra um, at a very basic level. It and, reminds me of uh, being a dungeon master a little bit, you know? I guess, yeah. So, anyways, you know, she's been learning, she's been doing really well with it. Like, you know, her math learning has really picked up, which is good. But she just enjoys playing it for its own sake. Like, she just genuinely embraces the game. And it's almost weird to me, because I grew up playing single-player RPGs, and I still mostly identify as a single-player guy. You know, I'm not... I play the old Republic. Oh, I can talk. <laughs> I play the old Republic, yeah, Star Wars the Old Republic, because my wife likes it, you know? And it's fun to bonk things with lightsabers. Fine, I get that. <laughs> <clears throat> but that's about the extent of my MMO career, is, you know, I have date nights with my wife that involve playing MMOs, one in particular. Um, Not Shroud of the Avatar? Don't get me started. <laughs> that that combat engine in me, we are not made to get along. Do, do we, need we are a, not friends. Do we yeah. need a second sad trombone here? I'll, okay, I'll find the sound effect. But anyways. <laughs> but um, you don't want me to do it again? <laughs> anyways. This is why I don't play the trombone. I'd be doing that all day long. You know, actually, one of the guys who contributes occasionally to the Scouting Podcast is an accomplished trombonist. I should get him to just do one for me. <laughs> hmm. Think, think, think. Anyways. Uh, crap. I had a train of thought, and it's like a smoldering it's a wreck somewhere back there. It's officially a spam, 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 humbug episode now. We've officially derailed. Yep, pretty much. Well, while you're recovering your, your lost uh, memory fragments, I'd like to uh, say that I recently heard an NPR story where they said it was not, in fact, a sad trombone, but a sad flugelhorn. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could believe that, actually. As could I. 
Now, how many of our listeners are savvy enough to appreciate the subtle differences between <laughs> trombone and a flugelhorn? Well, I ask you. Um, no, but anyways, um, just coming back to, to Prodigy for a bit. That's right. So, I mean, I'm a single player guy, but it's hilarious to me to watch my daughter play this game now for its own merits as an MMO, because why does she play it now? I mean, she relentlessly grinds the dungeons in the game, right? Because So she's always doing math questions and we're always helping her with math questions. But why is she relentlessly grinding the dungeons? Because she wants to get the nicer player house. Because she wants to get the fancier armor that's pink. Things like that, right? <laughs> like she's totally gotten into this um, <clears throat> grind and gear cycle and it's hilarious. <laughs> so... I uh, I have greatly enjoyed seeing that transpire. Even if I don't necessarily understand the appeal of it myself, um, I do think it's really kind of funny to see happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm How honestly, the other side lives. Pretty much. Yeah. I, I've honestly contemplated like a Lego minifigures online subscription. <laughs> yeah, by the way, for, the, for those into uh, making free-to-play games, that's generally referred to as a Skinner box, so... If you want to know more about that, look it up. It's pretty disturbing. It's uh, the same sort of principle that applies to slot machines. Mm. Yeah. Uh, actually, and a word on that too, because Prodigy is technically, like, they do have a free-to-play offer uh, or a free-to-play tier, um, <clears throat> but they're pretty decent about it. It's basically, if you're a subscriber, um, <clears throat> there's, there's no microtransactions in the game. I haven't seen anywhere where you can, like, buy in-game currency or anything like that. Um, basically, subscribers get access to extra gear and their experience progressions a little faster. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, even if you are a subscriber, the extra gear that you can buy is still just gear in the store. You know, you still have to grind the dungeons and get gold coins to actually go and buy it. You can't microtransact your way to a larger purse. So in that respect, it's good because it's, you know, you can still play it as a free player and you can still enjoy it and you're not held back from any of the areas of the game. It's just you gain your levels a little bit slower and maybe you have to settle for the orange armor. You don't necessarily get the pink armor. If you're a subscriber... Your progression's a little faster and you get a little bit, you know, you get a few more options for gear. Um, but even then, they're pretty fair with the gear because thus far, following along with her, I haven't seen any piece of armor that, you know, uh, I mean, the armor either confers no bonus or it confers like... Uh, a half a heart worth of health or a half a lightning bolt worth of additional magic power. So, um, you know, even the, even the high end gear that she's buying, um, because we did actually subscribe to the game because she's taken to it so much, um, still only <clears throat> confers, you know, those very minimal bonuses and there's free gear that does it too. So, you know, you really aren't losing out on much by playing prodigy for free. It's, it's thankfully devoid of those more, yeah, um, <laughs> gambling type mechanics. Yeah, that said, a... I, uh, I'm personally, I was for a little while a sucker, uh, in the old Republic. Um, 
But I mean, to my mind, it's just, you know what? I've enjoyed the game enough here. I'll put 20 bucks down and now I have, you know, a custom suit of armor and a couple of other things. Great. Yeah, just to add to that, what, what was the name of the company? It was like universally derided for making uh, the ultimate, ultimately exploitative free-to-play uh, web-based games. I'm not sure Zynga? Zynga, there you go. I was thinking King, no, but no, it is Zynga. Yeah, they actually had um, a psychologist. They hired people that had nothing to do with game design specifically to perfect the Skinner box uh, to implement those mechanics in their game uh, to maximize ROI, which is disturbing, but hey. Yeah, I mean, it is. <clears throat> but then again, you know, you mentioned King.com and you look at how much Clash of Clan makes or how much Candy Crush makes, and you're talking about games that are netting in the tens of millions of dollars per day. Um, <laughs> clearly, it's well-founded psychology, whether or not the use of it in this way is particularly ethical. <laughs> That's true. The, the, base, the, the crux of it is um, there's a random element and you get an occasional reward. And yep. somehow, somehow that speaks to something deep in our psyche that compels us to continue rolling the dice. Everyone likes a game of chance. Most people do at any rate. I mean, come on, dice games have been around for literally thousands of years. So That's why, that's why I don't play cards or dice. I prefer Street Fighter 2. <laughs> you know what? I don't particularly care for the gambling type games. I mean, my go-to card game is Hearts. Um, the fact that that's a particularly bloodthirsty and cutthroat game will not comment on my psychology based on that. But anyways. <laughs> <clears throat> Actually, you know what? Half the time I don't play it to win. I just play it to like troll my one sister who's a math genius and <laughs> tries to completely game the game. Um, so yeah, then I'm the guy who's just like, oh, I'll take a heart here and there. <laughs> Sorry well, you didn't get power that sometimes. round. I'll yeah. admit to trolling and Scrabble sometimes. <laughs> Ah, oh, Scrabble's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> it's not not really fair for a linguist to troll in Scrabble, is it? Because you, you'll oh, 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 you do not know my family when it comes to Scrabble. <laughs> you, you will start taking like like Latin root words and slightly changing them so it sounds right, but it's actually wrong. You know, my my mom and I get cutthroat sometimes when it comes to Scrabble. In fact, <laughs> it is an annual family tradition between uh, me and my parents. Um, we get together every New Year's Eve to play a Scrabble game. We have an actual mug. It is sitting on my desk right here. See here. Whoever, whoever wins the New Year's Eve Scrabble game gets to keep the mug for the year. And nice. every year, my mom is bound and determined to take it back from me. She goes, she goes on the whole year about how much she's been practicing, and yet somehow I still win. Well, you are the linguist. <laughs> I mean, you've probably got like the entire dictionary in your head anyways. No, so. no, no, I am not that good. <laughs> No, no, what, what has helped me is I have learned the benefits of when to trade tiles. Ah, yeah, I don't usually play trading as a mechanic. I just like something, memorize something some my really mom... odd words. Uh-oh, uh, we just lost your sound, Jordan. Uh-oh. <clears throat> While we're waiting for Jordan to come back, I think perhaps... 
we should uh, give a shout out to our favorite board games, if we have any. Yes. Ah, uh, you know I what? Have, Actually, I, I have one. Okay. Go ahead. All right. So, sir, sure. Yeah. A shout out to my favorite board game. <clears throat> my favorite board game, or one of my favorite board games, is Star Wars Escape from the Death Star. It's from 1977. We had a copy when I was a kid and we played it literally to death. I don't think even the box could hold together anymore. Yeah, I'm not even I'm not even sure what happened to my favorite board game. It's probably played to death and then my mind as a survival mechanism actually blocked out all memories of what happened to it. <laughs> Jordan, I think we might have lost you again. I'm, I'm uh, Oh, there you are. Still there? Okay, good. So yes, shoutouts to favorites or memorable board games. Well, I got to say, I have become quite the Catan guy. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks to, thanks to college, mostly. A lot of my housemates were uh, big fans of it, and I kind of got roped into it, too. So <laughs> very, very fond memories of that. Pretty much every every social group I've been a part of since college has involved Catan at some point or another. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah, m- mine, mine would have to be Dungeon, which I got, it was either, it had, yeah, it had to have been like in the late 80s, like mid to late 80s. And, uh, you know, I played Monopoly and all the usual suspects, and that was, uh, whatever. It's like a game that you played out of boredom. Like, right. Dungeon is the only board game. I would take over to my friends' houses in my neighborhood. This is when, like, your your friends were in your neighborhood because you could just walk down the street, and that was it, you know? So yep. I would take it over to their house. We'd all sit around. We'd all play and, like, have an awesome time. Uh, there was no other board game like that. Nice. All right. Well, I think we are going to call it there because we've already got a substantial amount of audio. So (laughs) I will just say, um, so thank you. Thank you for listening. And always remember, if you enjoy Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug, please leave us a review. Leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, I don't actually know if reviews are possible on Podbean, but certainly on iTunes and Stitcher, um, do leave us a review. Um, and if you haven't, please do subscribe to the podcast. Both of these things will really help add to its visibility and, you know, bring it to the attention of other people. If you like the Ultima Codex, we do still have our Patreon. It's still going. Um, spam, 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 humbug episodes get released there a day earlier. So a $1 pledge gets you access to the episodes before they go live on the Codex proper. And that all goes to, you know, helping um, maintain and maybe even one day expand the server infrastructure of the Codex to better deliver everything that you come looking for there at. But if that's not your thing, you can also buy computer games through GOG because the Codex is a GOG affiliate. Um, They have No Man's Sky up for pre-order right now. I think that's my next stop after I uh, finish this episode. Um, But anyways, that one's really easy. Just visit the Codex and click on the GOG banner in the sidebar before you go and buy a game. You don't pay anything else uh, or anything extra rather, uh, but the Codex does get a bit of a commission on the sale. And if you want to join with some like-minded people, there is a Ultima Dragons group on Facebook. There's also an analogous community on Google+. 
and there's the still yet underused UDIC hashtag on Twitter. Pardon me a moment. Just a moment. Just a moment. Just a moment. <laughs> Dave, I can feel it. I can feel it. Okay. Baby monitors, batteries are dying. It's making beeping sounds. As well, please consider liking the Facebook page for the Ultima series or following the Ultima Codex at Ultima Codex on Twitter or um, encircling the Ultima Codex on Google+. Although, in all honesty, I may actually wind up shuttering that page because Google has done something to their API that prevents WordPress from um, posting to it in a way that's visible to the public. Sad flugelhorn. Yep. <sighs> and finally, if you would like to recommend anyone for a shout out, uh, send us an email, ultimacodex at gmail.com. And that's also good for suggesting podcast topics, offering commentary or criticism about episodes, or even uh, if you're interested in becoming an occasional or regular contributor, uh, by all means, volunteer your time there. And I would also suggest actually that if you are interested in that, Definitely do follow the Ultima Dragons group on Facebook. I'm trying to make a habit out of setting up event entries there uh, for these recording sessions. So, although I'm sure we've all said it many, many times, Kevin, where can we find you online? Uh, Twitter slash 8virtues, youtube.com slash vosscorpbetmani. No spelling required because you already know what that means because you're a <laughs> freak. Okay. Yes. And failing that, there are links in the show notes. Linguistic, where can there we, we find you? Uh, you can find me at ultimatejourneys.blogspot.com. You can find me hanging around the Ultimate Dragons Facebook page. You can also find me on Twitter now at dragonketea, D-R-A-G-O-N-K-E-T-E-A. Send me that in a private message and I'll make sure it gets in the show notes. <laughs> Will do. Or, or in the uh, group chat. All right. And of course, myself, I'm on Twitter, WTF underscore dragon. I'm on Facebook. Of course, you can find me at theultimacodex.com. I've also got an about me landing page. Links are all in the show notes. Thank you for listening. It's good to be back. Good to be recording new content, not just doing re uh, recaps or roundups. And until next time, be virtuous. <laughs>